Thank you. <laughs> so they came to Cedar Creek after uh, many years at Kent Covenant Church. That's the church that planted Cedar Creek. And a few months ago, we were doing a series in our uh, Christian Formation Hour class on why do we, which is great. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we baptize? Why do we take communion? Why do we um, sing songs? All those things. So one of the things was why do we give? Why does this basket come around and we have this little thing called a tithe? What's the point? Um, I asked someone to teach that, <laughs> and a teaching team, and Dave Mitchell said, I'll take that, um, bravely so. And he taught on the topic of what does the Bible say about tithing, giving, and offering. Um, Dave's presentation was so good that both Kenton and I said, you have got to bring this to our body. Um, so we appreciated what you had to say, and, and maybe it's also because we don't want to preach on it. <laughs> To be honest, so, um, so I would like to invite Dave Mitchell up, and we've got a little, little special intro song. Y'all know this? had to do that. <laughs> All right, let me pray for you, Dave. <laughs> Father God, we do thank you for your servant, Dave, and um, that he said yes. How many things in our life um, you have just blessed us with because we say yes, and he said yes to the first request and yes to the second, and I thank you for his obedience to you, and as he teaches us about obedience and about, about giving back our life to you, Lord, I pray a specific just blessing over Dave that you will work through him and his words and his well-prepared message that your spirit would anoint these words and our hearts would take them in with gratitude and um, with a spirit of learning and yielding, that we are willing to yield our life to you in whatever way that looks. Um, just bless him this morning. In your name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Becca. Wow. Walk-up music and everything. This is really pretty amazing. So as, as, as Becca shared, last week, uh, Pastor Kenton and Pastor Becca were at the denominational meetings back in Chicago, known as Midwinter. And if you've ever been in Chicago in winter, this is not a boondoggle. This is kind of a really taken one for the team. And uh, Kenton is staying there. So in the prior two weeks here at this worship service, uh, the message has connected directly to the Immerse Kingdom's Bible study. Today, that's not the case. And as Becca shared, I'm going to be speaking more about giving. So last week when Pastor Kenton spoke, uh, the connection was, it was mostly about Gideon and how Gideon was very obedient to God. And even when circumstances were dire, he ended up having an army of only 300 people taking on another army of over 100,000 people. And he wins so God clearly can use people in spite of their limitations and issues, even me. So the, the immersed Bible readings uh, this week are from the book of Samuel. And since I didn't know exactly where we were going to be, uh, and you know, and this was something, a carryover from CFH, um, it, it, didn't, it doesn't really connect real well. Next week, we'll return back, and the messages will align to our immersed uh, readings. So I want to thank each and every one of you for being here today. I know that there are lots of options for where you could be. 
Uh, number one, the primary pastor's gone, so this is a good week for some people to be gone. Figure they can do something else. Uh, you have a guest speaker who's not spoke before, so you kind of know that that's kind of a, a challenge. The topic is giving. Why would you come to one of those, right? We've all been through those. And there's some other big things going on today. So it's palindrome date. Did you know that? So, you know, the, nu- the number goes forward and backward the same. That's the palindrome, right? 0202-2020 and the back- backwards the same way. So that's kind of, that only, it hasn't happened in 900 years. It won't happen for another 100 years. So that makes today a special day. It's also America's weirdest holiday. Yeah? And the really, the, if you want to, somebody could say, what was the good news at church today? You could say the groundhog didn't see his shadow. And therefore, spring is coming early. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and, of course, it is also the Super Bowl, right? The Super Bowl. So uh, I think many of you might have thought, since this is kind of uh, commercial-wise, um, society really wraps our head around the Super Bowl. It's a big event. Lots of people are going to gather together for parties. You know, we have the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, one of these teams is going to go home with a Lombardi trophy. And if you're really interested, I do watch quite a bit of football. If you're really interested in which team I'm rooting for, since our team isn't in it, if you stay, stay awake through the whole message, I'll tell you at the end. Okay. <laughs> oh. oh, no, that was Kent, Kenton put that down. So, yeah, that... So, so while it's very easy for me to talk about sports and maybe even weird holidays and things like that, what we're going to be talking about today primarily is about the gracious ministry of giving. And we're going to explore uh, what the Bible has to say about this topic. So I do feel very humbled and privileged to be bringing this message today. As you probably already know, I'm not seminary trained. I do read the Bible frequently. That's a good thing they said. And I have been attending and active in Bible study fellowship for more than eight years. And uh, my friend Bob had invited me probably eight, nine years ago. Or maybe He probably invited me ten years ago. And it took me a little while to catch on. But it has been very helpful to me. Uh, we also are studying the Bible in the Christian Formation Hour. Just had a great, I don't even know how long your timeline was this morning, probably... 30 feet, uh, and are in small groups, we are gonna, and as a congregation, we are participating in the Immersed Kingdoms Bible, Bible reading, and I do want to thank uh, all the people from my small group who have been praying for me and encouraged me as I've been preparing for the message today. So giving is an important and necessary act of worship. For many years, I assumed that worship services were mostly about the message and the singing. But as I've gotten a little bit older, a little more mature, I've discovered that giving is important not only for me personally, but for the body as a whole. Now, giving, there's really kind of three categories. And many of us who've been in churches for a long time know that people tend to talk about giving in terms of time, talent, and treasure. Today, the focus is really going to be on the treasure or the financial aspects of that, because that's what Becca said she didn't want to preach on. So, uh, 
So giving is our expression of our love for Jesus. He gave his life for us. What are we going to give him back? One other note uh, in, in terms of preparation for bringing a message on a Sunday morning, and I think I've talked with a couple of others that uh, concur with this, that oftentimes as you prepare, the message actually becomes more for your own benefit, the person doing the preparation, than, the, than for the rest of you. So I've already had benefit from this process. Is that right, Steve? Okay. You've done that. All right, so we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about tithing, giving, and offering. We're going to cover definitions. We're going to go through Bible verses in the Old and New Testament. And then I've got some summary slides. Now, uh, pastors tend to have three-point sermons. And so uh, today, a three-point sermon, we're going to call a field goal sermon, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, because it's the Super Bowl, three points, field goal. That's yeah, yeah, my humor doesn't get any better, so if you're, <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep that to a minimum. So, there we go. Whoop. All right, we're going to go through our definitions. So, the word tithing is literally means the word tenth, to pay or give a tenth, one-tenth. And I prefer the word, uh, the, uh, whoops, sorry there. I prefer to use, the, our, for our definition, the, the uh, verb or active tense of tithing as opposed to just the word tithe, to pay or give a tenth. The word giving is to put into the possession of another. And the word offering is a contribution in support of a church. So with those working definitions, now let's take a look at some Bible verses. We're going to start with the Old Testament, then we'll move to the New Testament. So the first Old Testament verse is titled, The First Tithe. This is where Abram had just returned from defeating the armies of the four kings, rescuing his nephew Lot, and reclaiming his possessions. Abram is met by a priest of the God Most High named Melchizedek. And the he, the he that's referenced in this verse is indeed Melchizedek. And it says this in Genesis 14, 19 through 20. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So you can see the tenth in the tithe directly coming out of this verse. The priest, Melchizedek, attributes Abram's victory to God. God, the creator and possessor of heaven and earth. And he blesses Abram. In gratitude for God's authority and blessing, Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth of his possessions. What's really interesting to me here is that he doesn't do it to invoke God's blessing. He does it in response to God's blessing. This orientation puts the horse in front of the cart. Abram doesn't give seeking God's blessing, but rather in response to what he's already received. It isn't give to get. It is give because you've already received blessings from God. All right. Let's see here. There we go. Oh. 
All right, second verse that we're going to take a look at is where tithing becomes law. Here in these Old Testament verses, we see the words of Moses giving the tithe as law. And it says this in the book of Leviticus. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal, and all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So the first tenth is called holy or set apart in belonging to God. The Israelites were to return to God what was already his, and in doing so recognize God's provision. If for some reason someone needed to redeem, that is, keep a portion of the goods that they were going to tithe, they could do that, and they could do, do it then instead give money. But they'd have to give more money than what the produce was or animals were worth. So if, for example, uh, your produce or your animals were worth $100, and you decided to keep those, you could give currency valued at $120. So you paid a little extra if you were going to redeem those, uh, those items. Now, uh, have you ever wondered why did God institute the tithe as law? As I've been studying, I believe that God instituted tithing for our benefit, not for his. God doesn't need our tithe. He created everything from nothing. Tithing is clearly for us. It reminds us that God is the owner of everything. In Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. He knows that practically ministries need finances to function. He also knows that most humans are very self-centered, and if he doesn't speak to it, we would probably try to keep all the money ourselves. All right, so our next verse uh, our third set of Old Testament verses, this is where Moses tells us more details about what is meant by offerings and tithes. And this is from a section known as the laws for proper worship. Not that we actually adhere to those here at Cedar Creek, but there are the laws for proper worship. And it says this, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all of your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, your vow offerings and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. Wow, that's a lot of things. The Old Testament tithe was not voluntary. It was not an option. The 10% off the top belonged to God, and the Israelites simply repaid it. But this wasn't the only obligatory tithe. Again, a tithe meaning a tenth. So we, we all got the concept, a tenth, great. Okay, so they pay their tenth, and then as we're reading in these verses, you see that there's actually another tenth that you pay. So you, know, you paid the first tenth, now you're paying a second tithe, the second tenth. That's to support a special jubilee festival, and then every three years, they took another tithe on top of the other two tithes. 
So another tenth every three years. So you had a tenth, a tenth, and then every three years, a third tenth. So uh, that's a lot. If you average that out, that's over 23% of tithing a year. Mandatory. This was not the optional part. And on top of that, as we see in these verses, on top of the compulsory or mandatory tithes, there's still an opportunity for people to give even more free will offerings. These were the generous gifts that expressed the Israelites' uh, gratefulness uh, to their, and their devotion to God. At a bare minimum, they were giving 23%, but there was no ceiling on how much they, of their generosity they could give. They could and frequently would, this is a remarkable spot for many of us, they, not only could they, but they would give exorbitantly out of their excess. And one example of this was when Moses called for contributions for the building of the tabernacle. The Israelites literally gave so much money that Moses had to command them to stop giving. Remarkable. That, those verses are found in Exodus chapter or Exodus 36, 2 through 7. We haven't had that issue yet here at Cedar Creek. Got a little clicker problem. Here we go. All right. So here is my final Old Testament verse. This is written by Solomon, known as the wisest man who ever lived. This is from a section where he describes the benefits of wisdom. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The Living Bible puts it this way, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all of your income. If the world and everything in it was truly belonged to the Lord, why wouldn't this principle be true? This isn't the only time that the Lord promises Israel that he will reward generosity with plenty. You find verses in Deuteronomy and Proverbs, Malachi, that all make reference to this. The challenge is that one must have faith consistently and give sacrificially to see the Lord keep his word. There is danger in these verses, as some people tend to move towards a wealth and prosperity message, sometimes known as the name it and claim it. I don't encourage this philosophy of giving, and you'll know more about why I don't encourage that after I cover the New Testament verses coming up. Okay? All right, so we're going to shift now to New Testament verses, moving out of the law from the Old Testament and into the New Testament. These are the words of Jesus found in the book of Matthew, the same chapter where we find the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward." The terrible thing about our acts of devotion is how easy it is to twist and put our faithfulness on display 
This is an issue of human pride. Once we've made ourselves the object and focus of our generosity, we have undermined the act. God has always promised to reward the faithful saints, but Jesus tells us that when we draw attention to our own giving, the respect and awe that's in, that we've inspired becomes your very reward in validating further blessings from God. So it's important to give in secret. Now, there's, the verses right after this continue on. So this is, these are still the words of Jesus coming in this, out of the book of Matthew about giving in secret. It says this, Jesus says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Jesus tells us that we should give in secret. This is as simple and as direct, I think, as you can find about how to give. And these verses, by the way, are why, as I stand here, I'm not going to be sharing all of the giving I've done in my lifetime, <clears throat> give you my uh, accountant's role of all events. However, if I opened up Realm on my phone, I could sh- Realm has a button and I can look and see how my giving compares to last year. But I'm not going to be sharing that. And by the way, I'm not going to be giving anybody else's as an example either. So, uh, yeah. Now, I mentioned that I do like humor a little bit. So, oh, there we go. I don't always tithe, but when I do, it's in secret. Yeah, hopefully you like a little bit of humor. Don't tell Kenton that I used a slide that had a beer bottle on it, okay? Yeah. Okay. So our next New Testament verse is also from Jesus in a section where he condemns religious leaders. Again, in the, uh, st- the book of Matthew, don't neglect the weightier issues. Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The picture here is of a religious person carefully measuring out spices to ensure that the tithe is exact while ignoring the weightier issues of justice and mercy. This is powerful. To show concern for tithing your smallest crops while ignoring the law's weightier concerns is short-sighted. We recently, just a few weeks ago, we heard from Dominique Gilliard, who serves our denomination as Director of Racial Righteousness and Reconciliation. That's part of our Love, Mercy, Do Justice initiative. And similar to the financial challenges we face, we also face challenges with justice and mercy and faithfulness. In addition to financially supporting our ministry, we are also called to the weighty issues of justice and mercy. This is really clicking weird for me here. Sorry. Yes, this is the right one. All right. So our next verse comes from the book of Mark. Soon after Jesus shared about the greatest commandment, 
The he in this verse is Jesus. So the faithful giver from Mark 12. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Obviously, the point of this passage is the faith of the widow to give what she had out of her poverty. This is a beautiful picture of trust and God's provision. And Christ's response to this act of faith demonstrates God's feelings towards our sacrifice and generosity. The verses continue in Mark 12. Again, this is uh, Jesus And he, Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. One of the interesting things as I've reflected on these verses is that Jesus went out of his way to sit and watch people Give their offerings. Though the times when I've been in here and I've watched who's putting a check in the offering thing, I guess that's like being like Jesus right now. That's that's not, no, that's not the teaching here. Uh, But what I think is important is that God's interest in our giving isn't cursory. It isn't just subtle. It's not small. He recognizes more than we do how our faith is revealed in our giving. And again, this is one of those verses or takeaways that's really stunning to me. Our faith is revealed in our habits of giving. So I, I need to stop and confess right now in front of all of you that there have been more than a few times in my when my own faith wasn't what it should be. And I let it be reflected in my giving. Yep, I I have done that. I need to be reminded, and perhaps you do too, that the Bible doesn't say, if you like the sermon or you like the music, put in more in the offering. Especially today on the sermon part, if you like the sermon, don't don't connect your giving to the sermon. But I think, you know, I I wouldn't, other people I've talked to have said, yes, the way that they experience the worship service, the way that they experience what they or what they perceive is going on impacts their giving. And the Bible has, says nothing at all about that. Don't do that. Let your faith be revealed in your habits of giving. All right. I only click it once, but here we go. All right. So... Our next and last New Testament verse is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He sends both an acknowledgement and an encouragement along with a challenge about giving. says this, Paul, Paul on tithing. Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm, and such love for us. Now I want you to excel also in this gracious ministry of giving. I'm not saying you must do it, even though the other churches are eager to do it. 
This is one way to prove your love is real. Wow. The Apostle Paul teaches the same thing as Jesus. Don't neglect the importance of the ministry of giving. But it's not about the obligation. Giving money isn't how you get saved. Paul also wrote in the book of Ephesians, where he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The gracious ministry of giving. So as I've reflected on these uh, these verses, I've come across several things that I want to share with you now as we start to move towards the latter part. I, was, I had summary on these, and in my walkthrough, I said, no, don't put summary on it. I, I have, it was way too long. So. so first, one of the takeaways is that the, the, the Bible is really clear. Uh, we are to be generous stewards of God's material and spiritual gifts. Uh, verses found in 1 Timothy 6.8 say, Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. We can't serve Jesus with, quote, everything but our resources. In, in the book of Mark, chapter 12, 29, Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone is our God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. When he means all, he means all. That includes our resources. Another takeaway for me from reading all of these verses is because of Jesus, we are no longer under the law. God is not into compulsory giving. And thus, we're not required to give. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think many of us have heard that expression. You're kind of like, well, gee, so I'm going to, whatever amount I'm happy with. And then if you say, oh, yeah, by this way, that this has to connect and be aligned with my faith, eh, where am I happy then, right? Is it everything? Is it a little? There we go. Whether we have much or little, we are called to put our hope and trust in God. Be thankful. Give abundantly and cheerfully. It isn't the size of the gift, as we read in in Mark, where the widow gave a penny, But it is important that we give. I encourage everyone to give on a regular basis, even if the amount you give changes. Get in the habit of always giving. And we have options on how to give. You know, I I made a little joke about the offering baskets. And occasionally, yep, I do look to see if my neighbors put anything in there. But we have options. A lot of people now give online, right? Giving online or have, I, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I mailed a check to one of the people I owe money to. You can set up automatic checks to be sent to church. So if you see someone skipping over not putting something in the offering basket, don't think that, oh, their faith must be really challenged there. But uh, there, there are lots of options on how we can give money. 
So as I've talked with people in preparation for today and for what I did with the Christian Formation Hour, the question that it all boils down to is this. Should we tithe or give 10% to the church? So if you only read the Old Testament, which I encourage you to read the whole Bible, not just the Old Testament, but if you only read the Old Testament, as I referenced earlier, the amount of tithing in the Old Testament was more than 20%. So I'm okay with that. If you want to give more than 20%, that's fine. Uh, However, uh, again, what you give is between you and God. In the New Testament, again, you aren't going to find any references to specific percentages. It says that we are to support those who preach the gospel and to be generous to those in need. Since God is to be our treasure, as we heard in the worship song this morning, believers are to give generously and freely. The amount is between you and God. Now, as, a, as part of my uh, preparation, I pulled up uh, the 2019 report on church giving for the nation. And uh, I found that on average, in this report, Christians give 2.5% of their income to their churches. So if you're one of those people who aren't giving, you know, the, the Old Testament 10 or 20%, you're not alone at all. But on average, people across the United States, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches. My third big takeaway, and relates to this, you know, how much should we give to the church, is, you know, practically we know that the ministries need funding to operate. Uh, as a business, as, as, um, as a business person and as a former leader of a Christian nonprofit, I know that it takes a lot of money to run ministry. You know, we are paying today the school district for this building. We pay a landlord for our offices and for the upper room. Our staff appreciates getting paid. And last week at our annual meeting, we heard that we've actually reduced our budget uh, compared to last year and that uh, all of our wages are flat. Nobody got a raise this year. And so one of the things that people want to connect their giving is to how do we spend the money. It reminds me of a story where the strongest man in the world was going to show just how strong he was. So he took, he was in front of a crowd, probably about this size. He took a lemon and he squeezed it. Again, this guy is just huge muscles, stronger than any of the guys playing the Super Bowl today. And he squeezes this lemon, and he squeezes it, and he squeezes it, and he gets it all out. And then out of his own pride, he says, if anybody here today can come up and take this lemon and even get one more drop out of it, I'll give you $1,000. And this little, small woman, a little upwards in age, came up, took the lemon, and squeezed it, and got a drop out of it. And he was, he was like, well, how did that happen? And she said, oh, I'm used to that. I serve as the treasurer at my church. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, churches, and again, I've seen this in many nonprofits that I've been involved with, we, we, we have a way of really making the dollar go well. Stewardship is taken very seriously 
at, at Cedar Creek Covenant and at many nonprofit organizations. So those are a few uh, items in, in response to the question, should I give 10% or more? The Bible does call us, again, to support those who preach the gospel and to be generous to those in need. Supporting those who preach the gospel, that is obviously, again, giving financially to your church. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says, In the same way, the Lord says, those who preach the gospel should be supported by those who accept it. So if you accept the gospel, you should be giving. In terms of being generous to those in need, in Matthew 25, familiar verses, we know that Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. So as we think about people who are struggling and in need, we need to think and be reminded that Jesus says we're, when we give, we're giving effectively to him. So my key takeaways, here are the things that I hope you take away from the message. This is really getting near the end now. Giving is important and necessary aspect of worship. It is important for you personally in your own faith journey, and it is important for the body of the church and for our ability to function. Second takeaway, our faith is revealed in our habits of giving. The question I've asked myself is, how does my faith align to my giving, and vice versa. How does my giving align to my faith? I ask you to think about that. And my third takeaway is to make it a practice to give something on a regular basis. So even when times get tough, some of you know that my employment has been uh, unusual over this last year. And even on those times when I was not earning a paycheck, uh, we did still make it a practice to give something. It wasn't the same, but we still gave. So we're not a big church. We aren't known as a wealthy church. And so your giving is important both to you personally and to us collectively. We need each other to fully participate in the gracious ministry of giving. Amen. Now, I, don't, I didn't see anybody fall asleep yet, right? So I, I, I can now share a little bit about the team that I'll be rooting for uh, at the Super Bowl. So uh, the team I'm rooting for is Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. But uh, both, both the 49ers and the Chiefs have some outspoken Christians among their players and executives the Kansas City chairman and CEO, Clark Hunt, said that I want to thank the Lord for blessing us. The glory belongs to him. Um, the quarterback for, for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, he professes faith. And just a couple of years ago, the Faith and Family Sports Programming Network, he said, my faith has always been a big part of what I do. I've grown up in the church, and faith really helps. You know why you're playing for the game and why and who you're playing it for i hope he gives a healthy portion of his earnings to the church i suspect that's true if his faith is aligned to his giving and his giving is aligned to his faith that will indeed be the case and again the ceo uh, clark hunt says my identity is in my 
My identity is my faith in Christ. And for the record, uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about um, Groundhog Day or about the Super Bowl. So hopefully the other takeaways would be helpful. So thank you. Niners, right? Okay.